pray for God. Lord, pray that he doesn't fall apart anymore. <laughs> Father, I just pray that we will have ears to hear mm. what your spirit is saying to us. Speak through this man, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nigel. I'll try not to fall apart anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very grateful to God for the worship today. Because... I don't know about you, but I've had a pig of a week, really. <laughs> One way and another. Some things have gone right, but some things have gone wrong. And to be reminded that God loves, that God is there, that Jesus understands, that he knows where you're at, that he understands your confused feelings and emotions, that he... He is, may not provide you with immediate answers, but that he is the answer. Um, that's, and that's good to be reminded about that in worship. And, you know, in other, other difficult times, um, people have said, how can you worship? But actually, worship lifts you out of your difficulties into the presence of God. So we praise God for that. Um, one or two have asked me looking at the letter to Philippians they said what's the difficult passage that you're going to get <laughs> <laughs> if you remember those who were here my adventures in 1 Corinthians I seem to get the difficult ones well bingo <laughs> we're looking at Philippians 2 1 to 11, which is an amazing passage. But in terms of what Paul wrote and what has been written about Paul's writing since then, this passage has had more written about it, more books published on it, more discussions about what Paul means in some of the verses than any other thing that he wrote. Why? Because this passage talks about Jesus in a way that no other passage quite does. So, our theme today, Jesus, joy, joy on the journey, and unity. Before we go any further... We're standing on holy ground here. Because Paul brings us to the person of Jesus Christ. Paul brings us to consider who he is from eternity to eternity. We have the most magnificent, the most awesome words about Jesus right here. So we're standing on holy ground. We really are. Secondly, this is about church. Yeah, we're all individuals. We tend to apply everything individually. But actually, Paul is talking to the church in Philippi. And he's saying, this is how you must be together. 
Now, we all have an individual part to play in that, of course. But it's a church passage, corporate. So we need to bear that in mind. And thinking in that way, this is more about us giving joy than getting joy. Paul says, you can complete my joy. So he's looking to the Philippian Christians to increase his joy. So it's really about us giving joy rather than selfishly getting it. And I'm going to just take that a little bit further. If it brings joy to Paul, then I'm dead sure it brings joy to Jesus. Because it's his church. And so this morning, we're really looking at how can we bring joy to Jesus? What a fantastic thing to think, that we can make our Lord Jesus rejoice. And fourthly, then Paul is appealing for unity. Now the word unity is not mentioned in this passage, but it's quite obvious when we read it through that that's what he's on about about God's people being one together in the local church. So that's just to begin with. Now to help us, let me, let me just give you a little bit of an outline here, just to help us in our thinking, because this is a pretty substantial passage. Verse 1 is about an encouragement. How does Paul encourage us to be one? Verses 2 to 4 is how is that unity expressed? It's not the only way, but how does he write about it here? So first there's encouragement. Secondly, there's the expression of that unity. And thirdly, in these magnificent verses, there's the example, not of unity, but of the attitude that we must have as we are one together. So, three E's. Three E's, whatever, three. Um, Encouragement, expression, example. Okay? Well, I think what we'll do, we'll read it bit by bit, rather than me read the whole passage. Let's read it bit by bit. So this is a little bit like what in some circles they call a Bible reading, but you you know what I mean. If you don't, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. So, in verse 1, if you have any encouragement, here we go, from being united with Christ, Why should you be one, Philippian Christians? One, because you're all united with Christ. Paul is saying, I'm united with Christ. Christ is with me. I am in him. He is in me. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. Therefore, we should be one together. And that's true for us, folks. You're in Christ. 
If you're, if you're a believer, if you love Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And would you know, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Therefore, we are one, or we should be. So that's the first encouragement, because we're in Christ together. Secondly, if there is any comfort from his love, you know the love of God. Actually, the NIV makes it look as if it's the love of Jesus, but the Greek is a little bit more vague than that, and it could equally be referring to the Father. You know the love of God. Do you? Nobody knows the love of God. (laughs) You know the love of God, don't you? Yes, of course you do. I know the love of God. Therefore, we should be one. What an incentive. I love God. You love God. He loves you. He loves me. We're together. Easy. If there's any fellowship, participation with the Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. You've been filled with the Spirit, and you can be refilled with the Spirit. I've been filled with the Spirit, and can be filled with the Spirit. You're in the Spirit. I'm in the Spirit. We should be one. Yes. Yes! Wow. I mean, we've done a lot of looking at each other today, haven't we? Oh, dear me. It's all right in church, provided you can see the back of someone's head. But we've done a lot of looking at each other. Look at each other again and think, where? Oh! (laughs) And, And think, we're united in Christ. We know the love of the Father. And we, we have the Spirit. Well, that's Trinity, isn't it? And one more reason. Paul says, if there's any tenderness and compassion, can you, can you hear, feel Paul's love for the Philippian Christians here? Can you, can you, he feels so deeply with for them. Are we trying to deal with the echo? I thought we were. <laughs> he feels so so deeply for them. And he said, gosh, if we know this bond together, we should be one. What an encouragement to unity. Son, Father, Holy Spirit, mutual love. Okay, that's the encouragement. Two, how should that be expressed? How should we express it? That's two. Paul says, make my joy complete, and that's the giving joy bit, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How should that unity be expressed? One, we should be like-minded. Now, I don't believe Paul is saying to the Philippian Christians, you've all got to think exactly the same. That couldn't happen here, could it? It really couldn't. we, We don't all think the same, do we? And praise God, we don't. But what, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, on the essential things, we should be like-minded. We should have a common understanding of the good news of Jesus. We should have a common understanding of what the Holy Spirit can do. We should have a common understanding of where he's taking us. Yes, we'll have different ideas. Yes, we'll have different thoughts. It's healthy that we do. Of course it is. It's healthy that, that you have that perspective and someone else has another perspective. And I perhaps have a different one as well. But it's that we come to one mind. That's healthy. So be like-minded You know, on the essentials, unity. On non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Show the same love towards one another. You know, Paul loved the, the Philippians. And he rejoiced in the love that they had. But he's saying, make sure you show the same love to each other. Now, even in a congregation, a church, a body of people this size, it is hard for us to show the same love to every single individual. But every single one of us should know the same love as we are part of this local church. It's as if Paul is saying, don't have favourites or don't exclude anybody from your love. You know, that person, they're hard to love. Work harder at it. (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, I think... uh, a reference to loving your enemies. Well, we haven't got any enemies here, have we? No, no, of course we haven't. But it's the same principle. No one, but no one, should feel unloved, uncared for, unvalued, ignored. No one. Show the same love towards one another. Now, I put number three, be wholeheartedly behind the vision. Because, again, if you could read the original, which I find difficult anyway at this point, Paul is essentially saying the same thing here as he said at point one. Except he says it in a more long-winded fashion. But, uh, you know, Paul, Paul, when he writes, he often, he gets carried away with himself and it doesn't doesn't totally make sense. But what, what, what he's saying here is that you should have that same wholehearted support together. 
for where we're going. And you might say, well, where are we going? Good question. I'll tell you what I long to see. I want to see a church that's filled with grace, that's based on the word, dynamic in the spirit, impacting the community with the good news of Jesus and care for those who need it. A, a spirit, a church, sorry, filled with grace, based wholly on the word of God, alive in the spirit, that impacts the community with the good news of Jesus and cares for the poor, whatever poverty means in that context. Is that where we're going? Because if we are, let's go there together. Will we ever arrive? Probably not. But we've got to keep going. And, well, there you go. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Says Paul. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Translated, put others first. That's a tough ear, isn't it? It is. That is quite difficult to always put others first. But that's what he's saying. Prefer your brothers and sisters, put them first. And this one. Don't look at your own interests, but to the interests of others. Do you know there's lots of talk today, isn't there, about, about rights. Human rights, the rights of this group, the rights of that group, the rights of the other group, the rights of, of, of this person or that, and on and on and on it goes. But we should think responsibility. Not is what is my right, but what is my responsibility to my brothers and sisters? Anyway, that's what it should look like. And do you, do you see what we're getting here? We're not so much talking about actions, although actions are good. We're talking about an attitude. And Paul is thinking of the attitude that he wants the Philippians to have. And that attitude can be summed up, as we look at all of this, by the word humility. And that turns him, in his thinking, to Jesus. And so he, he, he then comes to this great example of humility. And where do we see the greatest example of humility, of the sort of attitude we should have in the body of Christ? We see that in Jesus. Oh, and these are the verses that have been written about and written about and written about and written about. And I actually find this sort of thing really quite exciting. 
and and uh, it's, it sort of gets me going, and I think this is this is so good, and I love it. And then I look at you, and I think you probably find it boring, <laughs> because we're all different, and God's called us to do different things. And there, as you see, there are some people who think this is a this is a hymn. And many, many scholars, but not all, think what Paul is quoting from a hymn. Or if it's not a hymn, at least it's a bit of poetry. And many translations set it down as a piece of poetry, but not all. So if you've got the NIV, you will find it put down like a poem. And this sort of thing I find fascinating and interesting. And you think, I don't care. What what I want is to know what it means. And then we come to look at what it means and we find that we're beginning to deal with the deepest mysteries that there are here. So let's have a look. I hope reasonably simply at... Jesus and his attitude because it's his attitude that Paul longs to see in the church at Philippi and it's his, that is Jesus' attitude that God wants to see here. First, Christ as God emptied himself. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So what have we got here? We've got... First, he made himself nothing. He, who is in the very nature of God. Now that doesn't mean he was like God. That means he was and is God. And already we're beginning to think, wow. This is going to areas that my mind can't cope with. My brain can't cope with it. He was and is God. He's God's very nature. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What does that mean? People have written and written and written about that. Let's put it this way. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, did not think first of himself, but he considered others. He didn't hold on to his rights, but thought of others. In other words, folks, he thought of you. And he thought of me. 
didn't hang on to his rights. So, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Literally, that could be translated, he emptied himself. What did, does that mean that the Son of God actually lost something? People have debated that and debated that. I'll tell you what I think it means. Everything that he had and has, he gave for you. He didn't hold back anything. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He never held back anything, but gave himself completely for you and me. Oh boy. So he took on the very nature of a servant or a slave. It's not play acting. He really did it. It wasn't, it wasn't a charade. It wasn't just an act. He really did it. He became the, the eternal son of God became a servant, a slave for you. You see, we've sort of started high and we're coming down and down and down. He took on the form of a servant and was made in human likeness. Now, that could be misunderstood, but actually that doesn't, again, it doesn't mean he was just like a human but it means that in every sense he was and is totally, utterly, completely human. Just like you, just like me. That's why he understands us. That's why he knows us. That's who he is. He doesn't stand at a distance. He doesn't stand far away just giving us rules and regulations. He became utterly one of us. That's incredible. Down, 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 down. And then Christ as man humbled himself. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Again, please don't misunderstand those words. The fact that he appeared as, as human as a man means, literally, that he really, totally was and is. English 
words here are not adequate to express what Paul is trying to say. Utterly a man. And as a man, he humbled himself. Humility. If the eternal Son of God could do it, and he did it for me, and he did it for you, Paul is saying, Philippian Christians, do it for each other. He humbled himself. He who had the whole glory of being the eternal Son of God, now really a man, really human, utterly human, totally human, humbled himself. Father, I only do what you tell me to do. All that I do, said Jesus, is what I hear the Father saying and what I see him doing. That's humility. That's servanthood. And that humility took him to death. How? How can, as Wesley put it, the immortal die? Death? Even death on a cross? And we've emptied a lot of it, what that really means. Because the cross has become a piece of jewellery, an earring, all sorts of things. But to be die on a cross in those days, as any day really, was the most hideous, awful, degrading, dehumanising, painful, dreadful death. Fit only for the lowest of the low in society. And reckoned, according to the Old Testament, that that person had been cursed by God because he was hanging a tree. Down, 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 down. Can't get any lower. And he did that for you and me. The Son of God entered into all the sin and chaos and evil that is in this world. The Son of God entered into the depravity and awfulness that is Ukraine. He knows. He's been there. And he's been there for you. But God didn't leave him there. God didn't leave him there. Praise God. (laughs) Therefore, verse 9, therefore, because Jesus did that, because the Son of God allowed him to go through all of that, therefore, God has highly or exalted him to the highest place, highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, 
to the glory of God the Father. Amen, yes? Yes. The Son of God, solo, now exalted. Up, 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 up to the highest place. Oh, Paul can't stop himself. God highly exalted him. That's the resurrection. That's the ascension. That's Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Exalted to the highest, highest, highest place. And gave him the name that is above every other name. What is that name? Well, it's easy to understand it first as Jesus, that the name Jesus, the Lord saves, now has greater significance than it ever had. Because he saves completely. But actually, probably, and again it's because it's slightly ambiguous here, it means that Jesus is Lord, which which comes at the end of, of these verses. Lord, Jesus is Lord, Lord Yahweh, Old Testament name of God. Jesus now has the name of Yahweh. That that's the highest name. He is God. He is Lord. He is Jesus who can save completely. Praise God. Because he went so low and he's now so high. So that at the name of Jesus, when that name is declared, every knee in heaven, every angelic knee, every demonic knee, every force for good or for evil will bow, submit, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And one day, whether it's the government of Russia or Ukraine or the UK or the USA or wherever, one day every human knee will bow when the heavens declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee under those it doesn't matter whether you're living or dead in the world's eyes you will bow the knee at the name of Jesus and every tongue will confess admit acknowledge realize that Jesus the Messiah Jesus Christ Jesus, Messiah, is Lord. Wow. Isn't that good? Oh, do you know what I want to do? I first of all want to say you're a lovely bunch of people. (laughs) And we want to honour each other. But I want to do more than that. I want to worship Jesus because he's done it for you and for me. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the biggest incentive 
for us to be together as one. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's worship, shall we? I have no clue what we're going to sing. I have no clue. Let's stand. Let's just stand. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of everything that you need.